p.m. Calling the order the City of Centerville City Council meeting. First order of business is roll call. Councilmember Moser? Present. Councilmember Paskey? Present. Councilmember Taylor? Present. Mayor Love is also present. Please join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you all. All right, next item on our agenda is the approval of the agenda. Does any, the staff have any items to add to the agenda this evening? Mr. Mayor, we don't have any items to add except that we uh, have given you a handout for a revised um, set of uh, documents for the uh, discussion on the M1, M2 zoning code change. Okay. So it's just a, a revised document, not an actual addition to the agenda. The I'm sorry, the medical facilities, not the M1, M2. It's the, okay. Yeah. All right, thank you. And we'll just ask for further clarification on that when we get yeah. there. Uh, does any council members have any items they would like to have added or removed from the agenda this evening? Hearing none, do I have a motion for approval of the agenda as presented? So moved. We have a motion. Do we have a second? Second. Like there's a small choice here. <laughs> <laughs> a motion and a second. All in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed by the same sign. Motion carries. All right. The next item on our agenda is the appointments and presentations. And this evening we have Northland Securities here. Tammy, I practiced this. I'm doll. Uh, intro to tax increment financing. Mark's going to bring that up. The presentation was in your packet. Good evening. Tammy Umdahl with Northland Securities, colleague of George Eilerson, who the council is familiar with. Um, as way of background, I've probably worked on, I was looking this up before I came, about 300 different tax increment financing districts over my career. Tonight, I'm not here to talk about a specific request that the city has received. I'm here to talk about tax increment financing more generally. What is it? How does it work? Some on the council may be more familiar, and some this may all be new information to you. As I go through, Mayor, if it's okay with you, I'm happy to be interrupted. Council can say, I don't understand. Tammy explained that better. But I'll, I'll move through it, um, and maybe you've had a chance to look at it before him. With that, Mark, if you can go to the next slide, please. So again, I want to emphasize, I'm not here to present on a specific application or tax increment districts in the city, but what is TIF? How does it work? Where does the revenue come from, if you may? So some big picture, some key points. Tax increment financing, when approved by a city or an authority, I will get into that difference in a moment, is not paid from existing taxpayers. Sometimes I hear the term at cities that it's diverting taxes or moving taxes that would otherwise benefit everyone in the city. My response to that is no, that is not correct for this reason. When a city or an authority establishes a TIF district, that city is making that legislative finding that but for that tax increment, a project as proposed would not move forward. Doesn't mean nothing would ever happen on within the boundaries of that TIF district, but simply that project as proposed would not be feasible without tax increment financing assistance. 
Therefore, the statement that it's diverting or impacting existing taxpayers would not be correct because the council has made that finding in the opinion of the council that that project would not move forward. It's a very powerful public finance tool because it allows you to capture all of the local, and I say local, I'll explain that, property taxes for a defined period of time, depending on the district. And I'll talk about the different districts in a moment. The city, or excuse me, the county and the school district, they are provided a plan of what the city is proposing when there is a TIF district to be considered. And they can offer comment, they can come to the public hearing, but they do not have veto power. They can't say we vote against this, with very limited exceptions. There are some by um, legislation, some types of districts that they're given more power, but that is very limited. That's why it is an extremely powerful tool, because the city gets to decide that, but for the use of this tool, this project would not go forward, and therefore we are voting to capture the taxes. I say local taxes because for commercial properties, there's also a state general property tax that I'm sure the council's very well aware of. That cannot be captured within a TIF district. You don't have the ability to do that. And the school referendum taxes where the voters have approved it. Or I should say referendum taxes in general for the few cities that have city referendums. Those taxes cannot be captured within the TIF district. They continue to flow to the respective taxing jurisdictions. TIF is common used throughout the state, all four corners, and it's used a lot by cities to help spur that development, that but for that assistance that the city finds it would not happen. Using TIF to assist one project does not set a precedent. You, the council, determines when you, and when you don't use that tool. There is no requirement that if you do it for one project that you have to do it for another. With TIF, it's a little bit more prescriptive in state law, different than tax abatement that I'm not here to talk about tonight, because there's a lot of steps to go through and requirements to establish a TIF district. So not every property owner may come in and say, I want TIF too. It depends on the specific facts for their property. If you may go to the next one, please. So simple and um, concept, meaning it's capturing local property taxes for a period of time. It's very complex with respect to establishment and administration. And why is that? Because there are a lot of different parts of the law <coughs> that govern tax increment financing that you have to check all those boxes. And I'm going to talk about a few of those at a very high level. The financing method to capture the increase in value from new, it's a financing method to capture the increase in value. The tax increments are generated by what gets built or improved on that land. The existing, if there's an existing building on property that is going to be in a TIF district and the value of the land that exists at the time of establishment, the taxes generated on that value continues to flow to the respective taxing jurisdictions. That's referred to often as the original tax capacity or the original market value within a TIF district. And that's why the statement that those taxing jurisdictions are not negatively impacted because you can't grab those existing taxes and say we're going to use that to assist the development. It's only the increase in taxes from development that can be captured. Can I ask a quick question with yeah. that, Tammy? So if we're collecting taxes on a parcel of land that currently has a building, 
and that building is demolished and the new building is built, we still have to consider the value that we were previously collecting. Correct. Okay, thank you. That stays for the term of the district, whether it's nine-year district, 26 years, that becomes the original base value. Great question. So property taxes, again, attributed to the increase in value. I understand my notes here. After the capture of property taxes end, that's when all taxing jurisdictions benefit from that redevelopment. There are many, many examples across the state of the use of this tool where the districts have come to an end and all taxing jurisdictions get a bump in their tax base, their tax capacity, because the districts did what they were supposed to do and then the capturing the taxes, the district goes away. It's not forever, it is for a defined period of time depending on the type of district, which we'll cover. You can go to the next one, Mark, please. So in Centerville, you've done this before in the city. Not a lot, but there were TIF districts established in the past. You currently do not have any active TIF districts. Districts are decertified after the obligations are met. In this current legislature, the 23 legislative session, the legislature tightened up the rules a little bit. And in their view, and driven by the state auditor um, proposed changes, wanted to make certain of the legislature's intent that the increment, the taxes, revenue generated from these districts is used only for the purpose that was in the original plans. And once those obligations are gone, you can no longer continue to collect and use that for the remaining otherwise term of the district. So I won't get into all the nitty gritties of all these rules, but just know if you hear about that, that was tightened up even more this year in the ability to keep those districts open. Decertification of district means tax increment is no longer captured. It also means the fund established for the district is closed, typically. There are some old districts, we call them pre-1990 across the state, where the rules were much more flexible. Across the state, there's some of those funds and, that are open, but those districts are no longer collecting increments. It's just that cities are sitting on funds that can be used for limited purposes where they haven't spent those funds yet. So you may hear about that from some of your colleagues once in a while, that the flexibility, that no longer exists with newer districts. Go to the next one. So sources and uses of TIF revenue. Next one. So again, hammering home, tax increment is generated by the increase in value. The captured property taxes attributed to that increase, increase are used to support the development. State law defines what you can use that increment for. You can't say we need a new fire truck because we're going to have more population because we have a housing TIF district. That's not how it works. It's very limited and prescribed in state law. And really the purpose is to assist that private development to make that project feasible. Sometimes assisting means paying for public infrastructure. So you're not giving any of the increment to a private developer. You're retaining all of that increment to put in streets, utilities that are directly supporting the development. I'd say that happens you know, equally to giving private assistance to the developer. Now, the developer benefits from that because in most cities, the developer would otherwise have to pay for the financing of that infrastructure and contributing or conveying it to the city. In those examples, the city's using TIF. The TIF revenue comes from the property taxes paid. 
sometimes when there's developers that don't do business in Minnesota a lot, if they're in other states where there's true like abatement of taxes and think of tax increment like that, in Minnesota that is not the case. If a property is within a tax increment district, they pay their property taxes in full. What's different is the buckets that it goes into. Their real estate taxes would be more, no more or less if they were in or outside of a TIF district. It's simply which buckets, buckets those taxes are going into. So if you can go to the next one. So the net tax pass, we were talking about this, Mayor, was the question you had. From the land and existing building becomes what's called under state law the original net tax capacity. And you probably at budget time deal with that term net tax capacity. You can just think of it as tax base. It's important because those taxes generated by that original value continue to flow to the respective taxing jurisdictions so they are not negatively impacted by a decision to put property within the boundaries of a TIF district. Net tax capacity growth is captured by the district and generates the tax increment. So there's all this machinery that happens behind the scenes with the county assessor, the county auditor, but really it's that net tax capacity that is applicable and captured within these TIF districts. You go to the next one. Here's a very simple illustration. So if you had an estimated $10.5 million total taxable market value after completion of a project within a TIF district, and if the existing buildings and lands in this example were valued at a half a million, 0.5, that half a million, the taxes on that, would go to the respective taxing jurisdictions. <coughs> and this simple example, it's the $10 million of taxable market value and the applicable taxes, with the exception of the state property tax and the school referendum taxes, that would come back to the city to go into this bucket for tax increment to assist that development. Simple in concept, it's all the rules that go behind that that make it more complex. You can go to the next one. You might say, oh, Tam, that's a lot of numbers. Here, I just want to illustrate a simple point. So this is a real uh, district. I, I won't say which one, but here are the current taxes paid in 2023, 73391 So for this particular property, if you looked up all the tax statements, 73391 with establishment of a TIF district and completion of the project, so if the project is commences construction in 24, valued in 25 for first taxes payable 26. Under this simple example, the annual taxes received, so the middle column there, and I think it's behind me so I can go here, the annual taxes received by the taxing jurisdictions after the project's built and it's within this TIF district would be 109000 an increase. And you might say, I don't understand that, Tammy. That is driven by the fact referendum taxes are not captured. So the school district immediately benefits from an increase in value from that new development. While the total real estate taxes that would be payable in this example, about 600000 it's this around 485000 that's captured. This does not go to the city. This goes to the TIF district. This does not go to the school district. This is their net tax capacity taxes on that new value. So for a defined period of time, in this example, the city is able to keep that 487 and use it solely for the purposes of assisting that private development and consistent with a written, what's called a tax increment financing plan. 
go to the next one. So what impacts tax income and financing revenue? The timing of development? The collection of the first increment starts the clock. Sometimes developers get surprised because if they start construction late in the year and they have very small increase in value and they tear down a building so there's increase. In some examples, a project that's maybe going to generate a half a million dollars each year in tax increment may only get $1,000 because the city or the developer can't say, that's too, that's too small, we don't want to accept that increment because we want to keep the district open for the maximum term. There's ways to deal with that, but I just note that that collection of the first increment is really important. The type of TIF district impacts the duration. We'll talk about that. Property reclassification. Get this question a lot. So you may have property that is presently tax exempt and it goes within the boundaries of a TIF district. There's not zero value to that. Even though it's not taxable, the assessor still has an estimated market value. So that estimated market value becomes the base value. So even municipally owned property, there is a value that is established, it's just not taxable. So it's, you don't get to start from zero is the important piece. It's also true if you have property that is zoned one way at time of establishment, let's just say you have commercial property where there's gonna be a housing pro project. Eventually that base value gets reclassified as residential and that becomes the base. That's important because it impacts, Mayor, you were asking about that base value. All those things impact that base value. Future market value, inflation, you do a TIF plan. Sometimes these are 25, 26 years long. We don't know what is going to happen, let alone in the next few years, let alone 20 years. You estimate the best that you can. And the developer typically assumes that risk, but not always. Changes in local tax capacity rates. When a district is established and the, when it is certified by the county auditor, the county auditor certifies the original tax capacity rate for that district. And that's important because let's just say in the year it's certified, the tax rate is 100%. And the next year, the combined tax rates for the local taxing jurisdictions goes up to 120%. That is not a windfall for that tax increment district. For the life of the district, it is the lesser of the tax rates. That's also important because I made the opening comment that the existing taxing jurisdictions are not negatively impacted. They would be negatively impacted if you continue to capture their increase because of their rising tax rate. So another important point, property tax reform. That happened in 2001 when the state took over the general education levy and across the state of Minnesota tax rates dropped considerably. Developers along with some cities were in a negative position as a result of that because their districts were no longer going to and did not generate the increment that was forecasted and in some cases there were loans and financing against that so that is a risk that um, a city assumes when a city is incurring costs to be reimbursed from TIF, and it is a risk that developers assume when they are the ones getting that revenue from the city on a pay-go basis. So these are all items that impact TIF revenue. So you can go to the next one. Can, can I ask a yeah. silly question really quickly? When we say taxing or a TIF district, mm -hmm. you know, when I, when I think district, I think something rather 
larger, you know, in scope, not a single lot. So if we're developing a single lot, but it's a part of a district that's multiple lots, does taxes in that entire district become impacted by that? Great question. So TIF districts are established within boundaries of project areas, which could be much broader. So TIF districts consist of parcels that you define and include within the adopted TIF plan. So it can, can be one it. parcel, okay. it okay. could be many more. Thank you. Because of over the years, the legislation's just gotten tighter on the use of that increment, most new TIF districts are not massive large number of parcels. There are some examples where that may be true, but by and large, they are either single parcel or very few parcels included within the boundaries. The reason the project area mattered more, because you used to be able to take a limited percent, I won't get into the details, and spend it outside the boundaries of the TIF district, but within the boundaries of a project area. But because those rules have tightened up so much that there's some flexibility there, it's just much more limited. Does that answer the question? Yeah, there was a purpose behind my question, but thank you, you okay. answered it. So the type of districts are list, listed here. There's redevelopment districts, which 26 years, I think I have a slide coming up on that. Renewal and renovation. For both of those districts, you have to have substandard buildings. And you have to have land that is occupied. And occupied means parking lots, driveways, buildings, outbuildings covering land. Redevelopment, it's a higher bar because the term is longer. Renewal and renovation, the bar for the um, buildings is a little less. Economic development is for manufacturing, warehousing, distribution, nine years. Housing is for affordable housing. That means a market rate project provided that a minimum number of the units are leased to income qualified persons. So it's not Section 8, doesn't mean the whole building, it, mean, it can be market rate, but there has to be a percent of the units that are leased to qualified persons for the life of the district, and the life of the district can go up to 26 years, it's very long term. It can also be used for single family, I don't see that being applicable for Centerville. Um, soils condition, not very common. Fridley in the county has the largest soils condition in the state. It's very specific criteria. It's just not applicable to most cities. It's not construction soils. I get that question a lot. So it's contamination. There you go. I was reading off the years. You can see if you scroll up a little bit more on the terms. So I'm going to focus, I think, on the next few slides. If you can go. Um, sorry, I'm making you click around here, Mark. So let's talk about redevelopment TIF districts because that is one that um, has been and could be applicable to the city. So for a redevelopment TIF district on the slide prior, you can go up to 26 years to capture the increase in taxes to assist the development. But you can't just say, we want to do a redevelopment district. This is an area that we don't think it's its highest and best use. We want to redevelop it. That's not how it works. How it works is there's two things that you got to meet, two tests a coverage test, and a condition of building test. So the city must find that parcels consisting of 70% of the area, the TIF district, are occupied by buildings, streets, utilities, the items listed. A parcel is not occupied unless 15% of the parcel area contains those conditions. That's kind of confusing. Let me break that down. So if you had three parcels and one parcel 
had absolutely nothing on it, that would be zero because it doesn't meet that 15. But if the other two parcels, if at least 15% of the area was occupied by the list of conditions, you get to count 100% of that land area towards meeting that test. So there are examples of TIF districts for ha that have parcels that have nothing on them but greenfield, and it's the other parcels that have the buildings and meet that test. The condition of the building test, you have to have more, more than 50% of the buildings to be substandard. Substandard means that at least 15, or the cost of bringing that building up to code has to exceed 15% of the replacement value. I said before, very prescribed, complex. What you should take away from this, you don't have to remember all those percentages and numbers, but it isn't that you can just say, we want to do a redevelopment district here. There's specific tests and criteria that have to be met in order to do that. Good evening. Um, Tammy Umdahl with Northland Security. So the purpose for the use of that TIF revenue to stimulate development where it otherwise would not happen in the reasonably foreseeable future. And that language, should you ever approve a TIF district, would appear in that resolution. It's not that nothing would happen ever. It's that you're making that finding and you get to decide that, that nothing would happen in the reasonably foreseeable future. You rely on your consultants and your staff to do that analysis and to support your decision, but ultimately you decide that. It can be to create jobs. It doesn't have to be, but it can be, especially for economic development districts. That's the purpose, job creation. Retaining existing tax base, that can be a reason. Encourage development of uses that otherwise would not occur. Sometimes that can be the affordable housing component. Enhance the tax base, that is almost always the result. And then facilitate infrastructure improvements. So you want to redevelop an area but the cost of putting in the public infrastructure may be cost prohibitive. Maybe it's the tax increment that makes that feasible for that area to redevelop. And then to coordinate new developments with existing plans. Those are all purposes that you may point to in establishment of a TIF district. You only need one. Yeah. You only need one. You only need one. But you only need one of those purposes, but those criteria is different for a redevelopment district, which we walk through. An economic development district can't be for retail, for example. It has to be for manufacturing warehousing. The analysis of a request for TIF assistance, first determining how much TIF is needed for a project. Oftentimes, a developer will say, I need it the whole amount for the whole time. That may or may not be true, depending on what their returns are with or without that tax increment. So questions asked and answered. Is the TIF necess assistance necessary? If so, how much assistance is needed, both in dollar amount and in term? You have the option under state law, it rarely happens, that you could say, you know what, we would rather keep this district open for a longer period of time, allowable by state law, but we're only going to keep 50% of that increase in that value. We're going to have 50% of that immediately go to the county, the city, and the school district. The reason most cities don't do that is because then you got to keep it open longer to get the same amount of revenue that you need to support the development. Most cities say we would rather capture 100% of it and we would rather decertify this district as soon as possible. But it is an option. The objectives provide um, minimum assistance for project feasibility. I use the term you're really trying to get a win-win. You're not trying to figure out 
what is the least amount of assistance we can give to this project. It's what is the correct amount of assistance that we need to provide in order for the project to be financially feasible. There's a difference there. Mitigate city risk. If there's infrastructure involved and the city says, okay, we're going to keep all of the taxes, we're going to issue bonds, and we're going to use the tax increment revenue to pay back those bonds. You have the authority to do that. The downside of that is the city assumes 100% of the risk that future increment will be sufficient. That happens. There are many examples still where cities determine for various reasons that is an appropriate amount of risk for a city to assume for various reasons. Most cities try to do it as a pay-go basis, and pay-go simply means as the property owners pay their real estate taxes, an increment is generated. Under terms of agreement with them, you write them a check. But if the taxes are less and the increment's less, you write the check for less. If the taxes turn out to be more and you agree to a percent, you pay them more on an annual or semi-annual basis, but most often, with rare exception, cities agree to a maximum amount over the term they'll reimburse. So it simply means you pay them back faster than you otherwise would. If you go to the next one, we're getting there. So again, I already covered these. So pay as you go in upfront assistance. Developers always want upfront assistance. That means the city's financing it, either through interfund loans or issuance of bonds. Most cities prefer to have it on a pay-go, as I mentioned, so the developer has to finance it and assume the risk that the tax is, will be sufficient to pay back those obligations. So can you go to the next one? So in summary, um, TIF is the primary tool in Minnesota for public assistance. There are other tools, there are state grants, um, other um, means of city financing, but TIF, by and large in Minnesota, is the public finance tool. There's TIF in all 50 states. Every state is different in the laws that govern it. Minnesota is quite restrictive in its use of tax increment financing because they give a lot of power to the cities to make that decision to establish. Hopefully you've gotten a flavor of it's simple in concept, meaning it's just that increment that you're capturing, but it's more complex in administering and establishing it. Property taxes created by the development are captured. Again, that concept. Before creating the TIF district, the city must find, and that would be in a resolution, again, I'm not here about a specific project tonight, that in your opinion, the subsidized development would not happen but for that assistance. And that's key. You as council members get to decide if you agree with that statement or not. Go to the next one, Mark. Get one more here. Oh, that was it. That's a lot of information. Um, you had that presentation in your packet. Um, this was simply meant to give you a very broad concept of what tax increment financing is. If there were to be a specific project, there would be a very detailed written plan before you finance information. That was not tonight. Tonight was just an overview. So with that, Mayor Council, happy to answer any questions you might have. We'll see if Council has any questions. I asked all mine along the way Thank just you. to make sure that, you know, Mark wasn't able to say we never asked <laughs> the questions. Uh, we'll start off with Councilman Koski. Yeah, so um, even though I heard this before and I hear it again and it'll still come up, you know, for though I'll get to a point where I'm like, yeah, I kind of get this. Then two weeks later I'm going, yeah, how did that work again? Mm -hmm. um, so what happens when you, you you get a tip and you say you got a 10-year tip and the developer's looking for 
three million. We put a number on that, right? So you said that, and we're estimating how much that's going to be every year to get to that number. What if that value of the property um, increases more than estimated, so they are actually getting more back? Does that just shorten? Because we cap at the number, right? And so maybe instead of 10 years, we, we take care of that number in eight. That is correct. Long, right. Yes. Okay. And vice versa. If if the building does not is undervalued, we overestimated what the value was going to be, and we say that district is a ten-year district. So we would set, we would set two parameters. We'd set ten years and three million dollars, whichever comes first. So in either case, the developer sort of loses, you know, in, in some respect, right? Either you hit ten years and you didn't get your three million bucks, or you got your three million bucks and it's only eight years gone by. In either case, we so the pay-go system. Tam used the word risk a lot in this presentation. <laughs> and I just want to remind everybody that every way along the way, every every step along the way, we would be looking at minimizing those risks to the city and putting those risks on the developer. In the, and that's what the pay-go system really does, which is it sets those limits. Like, we're going to give you a maximum of 3 million bucks, or we're going to give you all your taxes back for a maximum of 10 years. I shouldn't say or, and, right? It, and or. So you're going to only get one of those. And, um, you know, if you don't build a nice enough building and the assessor comes, the appraiser comes by and says it's not worth as much, then you're not going to get three million bucks over ten years. And your real estate taxes won't be as high as what right. you estimate, the developer estimated at the beginning and what the city would have estimated. So sometimes the developer comes out even for that reason. Yeah. So, um, <coughs> Yeah, I just I wanted to make the comment that the, you know the word risk appears here a lot, but most of those risks can be pushed to the developer, and that you know the developer assumes those risks because there's a lot of money at stake, right? And it's worth those risks to them. Yeah, and I thought the other the bullet points on on the need why do tip pretty broad. I mean, you can pretty much make anything fit in there somehow, some way. Yeah. Um, I don't know. In, in my view, I thought they were pretty broad. So, um, but I guess I get it. And to me, it just kind of comes down to um, that investment that the city, in my view, is making, maybe not necessarily at a high risk, but at what point um, is that payback or when the tip is, is concluded, is that property going to benefit the city? And to me, that is what it comes down to for me. Because the city is making an investment here, and that, and, and and in simple terms too, in my mind, and there are times I look at this where we're paying, helping a developer developer be profitable, and that's the part that I kind of struggle with sometimes too. So um, there has to be some value in it in the long run, or whatever that tip period is for the city, and that's how I look at it. So that's really all I have. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember Taylor. Thank you for your presentation. No questions. So, <clears throat> say a developer started a project and it was a 10-year, whatever, three mil, and uh, if that developer didn't finish off but a different one stepped in, is that transferable to the new developer or is it kind of like, is it the owner, the um, seeker, the original seeker that that note? Um, goes away with 
that make sense? It does make sense. Um, so the if there is a TIF district, there is an, a TIF, I'll call it a TIF agreement with the developer. That stays with the entity that enters into that agreement. It does not stay with the land. So let's just say that, I'll twist what you just said a little bit, that the developer gets the TIF, builds the project, and then wants to sell the project or sells the project. They can do that if they want to have the new owner then receive that increment, and that's a private transaction, they need to come to the city for approval of assignment of that agreement. <coughs> so it's, it stays with the entity that, in, the payments stay with the entity that entered into the agreement. It does not stay with the land. Okay. I'm good. All right. Rhonda, do you have any questions? No. Tammy, one thing you talked about that kind of piqued my interest a little bit was the start of the payment terms. That, that you know, the gun firing off at the start of the race, so to speak. And I thought to myself, okay, I've seen situations where buildings are partially built, and we go out and we say, well, you know what, it's not fully built, but there is some tax here. Mm -hmm. How, I mean, that would seem to be incredibly dangerous, you know, if we have a 10-year district, because in year one, it doesn't have a lot of value. In fact, it may have a negative value from whatever was on there previously, potentially. So, any thoughts about that? It, to me, that would seem they were really taking a huge risk if they weren't very quick in getting their building up. Good question. So, with an economic development district, you have no control of that, neither does the, the developer. So, it's exactly what you said they're partially completed, they get value, they get increment off of that. With a redevelopment or housing district, the city has the ability to elect, and this is at the beginning of the process, to delay the first year of increment mm. by up to four years. Okay. Whether the city agrees to that depends on the specific facts of the project. Most developers seek that because they would rather wait one more year and not have any increment then get, in my example, a very small amount of increment. So that's the way the legislature dealt with that risk. And the reason for the economic development district, that is a shorter district. Those projects are economic development buildings. They're not wholesale redevelopment or housing projects that tend to take longer. But are there examples of those economic development districts losing effectively one year of increment? Yes, that does happen. But that risk is on the developer. And Mark is right. I kept saying that word risk, and I, I want to clarify that. Because the city, coming back to, if you decide and vote to provide tax increment assistance, you're not saying that, well, we think that developer should have more return on their money than they otherwise would get. You're making the decision that we, the council, believe by approving this, that this project simply will not happen because those returns are too low that it will not attract that investor money or they won't be able to secure financing in order to proceed. There's a difference there because if you feel as council members voting that, well, I disagree with what Ms. Amdell saying or staff, I believe this project doesn't need this money. It will go forward anyways or it might be slightly different than what they propose, but I'm okay with that then you should vote no because in your opinion, the project doesn't need tax increment financing to be feasible in the reasonably foreseeable future. 
Okay, I'll I'll somewhat ask part two of the question I okay. asked a few minutes ago, and when you're developing a, a TIF district, it is really for a project that is right in front of you. It's not a futuristic type project, i.e., and now everyone's going to know what I'm talking about, what I'm thinking about. If someone wants to build an apartment building, we can't build a tax district for the other lots around that, thinking in the future, other buildings may be built in conjunction with it. You can if you can meet those tests. So let's just say it's a redevelopment district and you can do a larger district where you know you have some parcels you know something's going to happen on right away and you have other parcels where you can meet the definition to include them, but you're not certain what is going to happen. Can you <coughs> include them? You can, but this is where the rules get a little tricky. You have five years after the date that that district is certified for something to happen. So the clock starts once the county certifies the district. So that can be a problem for larger districts. The other problem is if you have a district that you redevelopment and you include bare land in it and you meet all the requirements of the law, you can't have your first project to be on the green space for this reason. State law, and I said I wasn't going to get into all these rules, but I'll get into Sorry. those rules. <laughs> that you have to spend 90% of the increment correcting the conditions that allowed you to establish it. So if you spend all that money, the TIF, do that on the green space, you're running the risk that if nothing else happens on the balance of that to use that increment, that you don't have a valid TIF district. That's why cities don't do that. Because the state law has tightened that down and that does not, that's not a risk that, at least any city that I've worked with, that they're willing to assume because the risk is so big in that scenario. Legally, they could do it, but they're assuming the risk. If I might. Yes. Um, so the advantage, though, to adding, um, so if we, if we have a single parcel of a single project, the advantage to adding other parcels in the neighborhood that are in the same condition, you know, have are occupied, have lighted, built, not lighted, uh, substandard buildings, the advantage there is that then if a project comes along and wants to go there, the TIF district, we don't have to go through all the machinations of the TIF district. Again, we can save the money of having to, pay you and everybody else that gets involved in making that TIF district happen Perfect again, right? Example, Mark. Is, that the, is that the only advantage really? Is just that you don't have to go through that process again and it can happen quickly? Um, well, um, that, that advan advantage that you don't have to go through it, um, but a reason sometimes cities do that is you may have, you are able to meet all the requirements of the law, include other parcels, and whereas I was giving an example that if you did the first project on the green space, Let's flip that and say you do the project on the parcels that had the substandard buildings. And if you're spending 90% of the increment on that, that allows you to use that other 10% on those other parcels that didn't have substandard buildings. That's why sometimes cities do that, especially when there's infrastructure involved, okay. public infrastructure. The devil's in the detail. I said that it's complex. There's different rules. But the big takeaways, it's really about Increments, so it's that increase in value. The details matter; it gets much more restrictive, and that that pago strategy really moves the risk, and that's what most cities do to the developer. And then the city really has, and I truly mean, you have no risk than other than especially if the developer pays for all the costs related to establishment. They're financing all those costs. You're not paying them any money that you do not receive from them because they have to pay the real estate taxes in full. 
and then under terms of an agreement, you provide that assistance. Any other questions? Anyone else have a question to spark up based on any other comments? Well, Tammy, thank you so much for coming out tonight. Thank you I for think this was me. very useful, very informative. We appreciate you coming. Thank you. You too. Love your oh, face. You're not having a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> That's that commercial. Never mind. I'm not going on the trip. Okay, next on our agenda is the approval of minutes. Um, we're starting off with item number one, the August 23rd of 2023 City Council and closed executive session meeting minutes. Does any council members have any annotations for those minutes? I do. I'm scrolling. Um, point of clarification <coughs> is that uh, does, because I attended via Zoom at that meeting, does it also have to say non-voting? Um, I think, I thought we had said, so we're just talking about the August 23rd. August 23rd right? because it wasn't announced in advance, so I wasn't allowed right. to vote during that meeting. Uh, via Zoom. Yeah, I thought we had made a note that you weren't part of the quorum, but does that appear in here somewhere? I'm sorry, it does not. I thought we were going to make a note that you were in attendance but not part of the quorum. So that that would be, I think, the official term was that um, because you were unable to vote that night, you were not part of the quorum. So we can make that note in the, in the front part here. So designation of some form. Of some form, yeah. Yes. Um, and then just a clerical at the end for council reports too. Um, a, B, C, point D um, just got lost and just needs to be reset. So there. D Mosier. Just needs to be pulled out. Ducted in there. That's all. some word formatting. Any other annotations for the August 23rd meeting minutes? Would anyone like to make a motion for approval with the noted changes? So moved. We have a motion. Do we have a second? Second. We have a motion and a second. Any further discussion? All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed by the same sign. Motion carries. Approval of the minutes, item number two, September 13th of 2023, City Council and Executive Session meeting minutes. Any council members have any annotations for those minutes? Hearing none, uh, I would entertain a motion for approval. So I'll make that motion. We have, we have a motion and a second. Any further discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed by the same sign. Motion carries. All right, does any council members want to have any items pulled from the consent agenda for further discussion? Four and five. All right, pulling items number four and five. Any others? 
right. Do we have a motion for approval of consent agenda items one through three? So moved. Do we have a motion? Do we have a second? Second. Motion and second. Any further discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. I'm just not hearing none. <laughs> I only heard one voice. <laughs> Opposed by the same sign? Motion carries. All right. Councilmember Taylor, uh, consent agenda item number four. Uh, so just to comment on consent agenda item number four, uh, that this was the proposal for Parks and Rec, since we were unable to um, get all of the pieces put together for 2023, was to start off immediately um, and get things on, um, on plan for 2024. Um, so that is what this support is for, and that there's still going to be more details to work out, but wanting to establish that they're fully supportive of this and um, to thank you for the opportunity to do this. Great, thank you. Any other <laughs> comments in reference to consent agenda item number four? Do we have a motion for approval? So moved. We have a motion. Do we have a second? Second. Motion and a second. Any further discussion? All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Like your voice is the only one I hear. <laughs> Everyone good? All right, opposed by the same sign? Motion carries. Councilmember Taylor, uh, consent agenda item number five. Uh, so just wanting to draw out this um, item and uh, to thank the, the council and uh, the city of Centerville for their support in the October designation of Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Um, it is unfor unfortunately a plague of our, our population. Uh, Minnesota happens to be the home of the first ever domestic violence shelter. Um, so it runs very deep here, and it's very good to represent this. We also have several indigenous populations of our state that um, suffer like most of the rest of our indigenous populations of the country of where murdered and missing indigenous persons are our causes because of how common this unfortunately is. So bringing this up to our awareness level and supporting that is greatly appreciated and wanting to reach out to family and friends um, within our city who... Um, know of someone is often someone that you're aware of, someone that's related or family, someone that's quite close. So to reach out to your friends and family um, with concern and with safe haven. Um, and also wanting to personally reach out that um, we do have several victims who refuse to leave that situation because they have an animal. And um, so that alone can be a family member that they will not leave a situation of domestic violence. Um, because they have an animal will not leave them and most shelters will not take them. So it is a growing change in the state and to reach out that there are places now that um, you can safely house your animal to remove yourself from that situation should that be a barrier. <laughs> Thank you. That's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. Does any other council members have any um, thoughts or notations in reference to consent agenda item number five? I, was, I, was, I had this written down in my notes, so hopefully I can read my own writing um, for the end of the meeting, but um, not knowing that we were going to pull this item, I was just going to point out one key notation that was con contained within the recognition, and or the resolution rather, and it was simply that domestic violence will be eliminated through community partnership and concerned individuals and organizations working together to prevent abuse with the same affecting social and legal change in my writing. It's really bad, my kids always tell me. So 
there we go, I can barely read it myself. So I just thought that was a, a key notation to that. The entire resolution is important, but that part of just, you know, that partnership and all of us being involved, I thought was really key. So I just wanted to point that out as well. All right, with that, do we have a motion for approval of consent agenda item number five? So moved. We have a motion, do we have a second? Second. All right, we have a motion and a second. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed by the same sign. Motion carries. All right, moving mm -hmm. on to old business item number one, Centennial Lakes Police Department Joint Powers Agreement. Mr. Stotts. Yeah, Mr. Uh, Mayor, on uh, Monday evening, we had a meeting of the Police Governing Board for the Centennial Lakes Police Department. And uh, the board, uh, the, the lone item on the agenda was really to um, Discuss and uh, approve the eventually approve the um, change to the uh, proposed change to the joint powers agreement uh, related to the funding formula. In other words, the formula which divides up the cost of the department between the three cities. And so um, the governing board did unanimously um, vote to approve that change. And um, in keeping with the the joint power agreement, um, the setup of that and how it it functions, each city has to ratify that change. In other words, we're sort of re-ratifying the JPA, although this is actually a, technically an amendment. We're not ratifying the entire JPA again. It's just we're ratifying an <coughs> amendment, Kurt, would you say? I agree. Um, and so that amendment is in your packet. Um, notably, this is, uh, I think we're all kind of aware that there was a, um, a change in the formula and, and one of the last bits of negotiation we did was to, to have that uh, formula sort of phased in. And so this amendment lays out how that uh, gets phased in. Um, we have the uh, eventuality of the formula becoming a 40-40-20 split, or waiting, I should say, with 40% being population, 40% being calls, and 20% being taxable market value. But we step into that by going 40-50-10, 40, 45, 15, and then 40, 40, 20 um, in each of the consecutive three years. So um, that's a nice compromise. We uh, want to thank our partner cities for allowing us to do that. It helps our, our budget tremendously. I think the difference is around $24,000 to us this year. So that's a, a nice um, discount off of what we were um, perhaps going to have to uh, um, endure otherwise. So. I just wanted to point out that, that it is stepped in in a three-year sequence there. Um, so, um, I don't know, Kurt, is there anything else you want to say about this? There was a small uh, statute revision there that you had on the end of it. Yeah, all that was was the uh, original statute that was cited for arbitration had been amended by the legislature actually 10 years ago. So this is just an update to the current, current statute. That's the only other change. The only other thing I would point out, I know that in the memo it, it talked about a, a specific dollar figure, but those that dollar figure, was it 75 or 73, I forget which one it was, um, that's in today's dollars, that number right. could be. It was really just a way to compare apples to apples, so we referenced it to this year's budget, Right. Um, but that's much different with next year's budget because then it gets co-mingled with the organic growth of the department, we're adding an officer, all that kind of stuff. So. Right. So I just wanted to make sure that was clear that. Right. No one looked back in three years and said, hey, it was supposed to be 73. It is a different number, rather more or less, or either way. Sure, yeah. Right. Okay. All right. 
other questions or comments? I guess, Mr. Mayor, I would ask um, if there were any uh, thoughts or comments from the two of you that, that attended that meeting. And if you want to comment on that, um, anything you want to share that, that happened at that meeting. Councilmember Moore. Um, uh, we had asked uh, for, uh, how do you want to say it, certain um, things to happen. Um, officers do daily logs of where they spend their time. So I had asked for those to be filled out a little, maybe with a little bit more importance so we can use data to see where and uh, what our officers are doing in a day. Uh, there are some other questions brought up, but that was the one, major one that I had. So we can put data together to see as we go, you know, what we're actually getting for what we're, what we're paying more for, you know. Um, because uh, as we pay more than other cities, we should be making sure we're getting, you know, the fair amount of time. Sure. And uh, I think with those daily logs actually accurately figured out, we'll see where the calls and responses go. Okay. And, and for my chair, my comments were really solely around process, honestly. I talked a, well, a lot. I, I won't say that because I didn't talk a lot. But I spoke about us really having the ability to disagree because we're in a democracy. We, and I believe in the democracy that we live in. But finding a way to disagree well, you know, uh, finding a way to be cordial with one another and have relationships that are not soured as a result of, you know, a disagreement, so to speak. Um, we have a right to disagree on things holistically, but the way that we do it can impact relationships long term. And that was my bigger concern is because I felt like our department was the, the example that I'd like to present to others around, and, and I stated it that way, around the state and around the country, as this is how you do policing. This is how you have community policing. This is how you work with other communities to make sure your public safety is in order. And therefore, as feeling like I've set our apartment up as this shining star, I didn't feel great about how this process went. So that was really my focus of it. I mean, I felt like we as a council had already, we already knew where we were going with this from two weeks, four weeks, I, I don't know, whatever <laughs> meeting that was. So to me it was more about, okay, we're gonna disagree on something again. We're bound to. We can sit here tonight and something on this agenda we don't see the same. And that's okay, but how we go about doing it is extremely important. Was there any feedback from the chief or operations committee at all? Or, um, I mean, <laughs> the chief answered Darren's questions okay. um, the best he could, and I mean, I don't know that mine were really questions; they were more of a statement. Because I, I, I get concerned too about morale and those kind of things within the department too, and I hope this was uh, at least a neutral or positive impact on them. So. That's all I have. Thank you both. I guess I would share. I, I did ask the chief after the meeting how he was doing. And he told
Thank you. <laughs> it was not an official question. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, there we go. Uh, other questions? Councilmember Taylor? Roman? Darren, any comments? Statements? No, um, we've been right there. <laughs> we've been. All right. So with that, I, I will call for a vote. I would uh, ask for a motion to approve the Centennial Lakes Police Department Joint Powers Agreement Amendment. We have a motion. Do we have a second? I'll second that. We have a motion and a second. Any further discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed by the same sign. Motion carries. All right, we will move on to new business item number one, Ordinance XX, second series, first reading, revising chapter 156, zoning code, substance abuse clinics. Mark, are you leading that one or are we turning yeah. it right over to Kurt? Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just quickly introduce it all, maybe um, defer to the folks at the auxiliary table there in a minute here, but um, I just wanna introduce it and, and say that uh, the Planning Commission um, met last night and had a number of different ordinance things on, the, on their agenda um, and had public hearings for all of them. And uh, we've only brought two of those forward for a first reading tonight, just, you know, which we normally wouldn't do a day later. But I wanted to kind of kick these two into high gear because of their timeliness here. We have a moratorium on this particular issue, which expires at the end of the month, essentially. Um, and so we want to make sure that that um, gets taken care of in, in um, due order here. So. Uh, we are still suggesting that you go through to a second reading. We're not, we're not going to try to skip the second reading here, but um, wanted to put this in front of you. And the reason you have paper copies in front of you is that we just had some formatting. Um, this is just a little bit cleaner look at it here. So what we're doing here is we're adding in a definition of, uh, we're, we're sort of separating out um, a substance abuse treatment clinic from other medical clinics. And so we're adding a definition there. Um, and then adding it to um, the list of conditional uses. So in your code, you have a table of allowed uses, and one of those line items is a medical clinic, um, and it is listed as a planned um, use, which means they don't need conditions associated with it. They can just come in and build a medical clinic if it's in the right zoning district and it meets the code. We felt like this type of clinic probably should have some conditions attached to it, and so it should be a conditional use. And so we separate it out of the separate line item, and it's being listed as a conditional use. So they would have to come in for a conditional use permit, which allows us to attach some reasonable conditions to that. And we've listed out, which is appropriate in the code, probably should be a little bit more in our code, more often in our code, probably need to work on that a little bit. Um, so conditions in a conditional use permit for each use are supposed to be listed in the code, and then you can kind of expand and add to those, but you're really supposed to kind of stick with that framework. And so what we try to do is establish a framework of what conditions would be appropriate for this type of clinic within the code. And that's what you see in your handout there is um, how this would be inserted into the table of allowed uses, how it's inserted into the definition section of the code, and then how it's inserted into the list of conditional uses and the conditions by which we would um, govern that, those, uh, those permits. Anything else, Athanasia, Kurt? Probably worth talking about why there's such extensive findings on here. Sure. Um, so you'll notice that there's pretty extensive findings about crime, public safety, drug-related crimes, prescription, fraud, property crimes, traffic and parking. Um, healthcare is essentially a human right in this state, and 
you know, we don't want to um, interfere with that unless we have a compelling government interest. And while these clinics provide a really important public service, they also um, have kind of demonstrated that there can be problems in the community related to the clinics. So if we're going to regulate something of that nature, then we as government have to tell the public why we're doing it by making findings. And so each of these findings comes from you know, examples at other clinics. Uh, we just didn't make these up. So um, you know, we, uh, this originated actually as a study in Lexington where I, we did the research for creating these uh, when, I, when I was actually doing this, um, this work for them. And so it's important that we make those findings so that we do tell the public, hey, you know, we just didn't, didn't willy-nilly come up with these conditions. We thought they were important because we don't want to have problems that are out of the clinics, but we also want to make it clear that we allow these clinics. So that's why these findings exist. And just as a reminder, Kurt, you can't um, zoning code out any use in general, right? And sort of generally, you can't just say we don't allow this type of use in our town anywhere. You have to allow it someplace, correct? Well, there's certain things like medical care and other First Amendment things like um, kind of adult uses that the Constitution says we have to have. And so if we have to have it, then... Um, have to allow. Have to allow it. Yeah, not right. <laughs> right, we have to allow it, then, uh, then we, you know, we have to state why we're admitting it. So this is one of those. Okay. I think that was an important distinction, so... Sure. Thank you. All right, any... Uh, final comment is just that this is a first reading. We'll have it back on the next agenda, and we'll, with your permission, we would just put it on the consent agenda. Okay. As this is the first reading, and uh, if it's going to be on the consent agenda on our next meeting, I guess I'll see if council has any questions or comments. Councilmember Moser? All good. Any uh, uh, consider? Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Any consideration to extend a moratorium, or can we, or do we need to? Uh, I think we're at the end of our moratorium mobility. We're at uh, what a year, right? Right, we have to come up with a very good reason to extend it for, like, we get one more bite at about six months, but it will ex it'll expire on November 1st. Yeah, thank you. Councilmember Taylor? No questions. And um, the one question I had that was burning in my head, I think we kind of touched on it with the comments you made at the end there, so that's why I said that was an important distinction. So, um, so I don't have to state what that sure. was. All right, so we, we do not need to take any action on new business item number one. New business item number two, Ordinance XX Second Series First Reading, Revising Chapter 156 Zoning Code M2 District Densities. Yeah, Mr. Mayor and Council, we have uh, this item, again, which was handled by the Planning Commission um, last night. And by the way, I should have mentioned that the Planning Commission recommended approval of that last item, um, if that uh, hopefully matters to you. Sorry, I left that detail out. Um, they also um, recommended approval of this uh, unanimously last night. Um, and that was the, um, so there, there's a couple of different things at play here um, with regard to uh, the density in the M1 and M2 districts. Um, and so this is, uh, sorry, I'm not on the right one. The M1 and M2 districts are your mixed-use districts or, or your central business district districts in the downtown. And um, 
there's just some incongruence or inconsistencies between the three different governing documents here. Um, so you have a comprehensive plan, you have a downtown master plan, and then you have the city code. And the three of them say three different things, and that's not usually a good thing. So um, we wanted to make all three of these marry up together. And what we did is we kind of took a, um, a look at you know, what the intent was of, of all three of these things and have come up with the suggestion that essentially we would leave the M1 district alone at a, um, which is, is congruent through all three, that says uh, 12 to 30 units per acre. But the M2 district, um, in some documents, so the master plan says 20 to 45 units per acre, and the city code and uh, the downtown, excuse me, the, um, the comprehensive plan talk about it in terms of 12 to 30 units per acre. And so what we're, we're suggesting is that the, the um, everything say 12 to 45, so we're kind of broadening it, we're not just moving it to one side or the other, we're broadening it from 12 to 45. And the reason we would do that is that we have, um, and Russ asked me to do this, which I, um, I should have said there was another document I was adding to tonight's presentation, but we'll just do that now. Last night I said, oh, I wish I had this map available, and so I, I pulled up this map. Beat me to it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, right out of the Damon-Farber study, so our, our, this is from our downtown master plan. And this is just a concept map, so please don't get excited at home if your house is covered up by a bunch of condos or something. This is just a concept of a downtown redevelopment that Damon Farber put together. But notably... Um, put together in, in what year? Because this in, is in old. 2005, six, yes. but it was re-established or re-confirmed in 2020. But it's still old. That was this part of the discussion <laughs> last night, was that it was uh, reaffirmed in 2020. Um, so what... What you see here, and actually I did a little photoshopping to eliminate some of the stuff that was on the school that is no longer there. But, um, so what you'll see in kind of the outskirts of this development, which is the M2 district, which is right the, not the right in the middle of the district, but kind of on the outskirts here, you see some townhomes. And, um, and then other places you see a two-story building here uh, in these couple spots here. And then... These ones in the middle here, these are uh, meant to be three-story, um, some of them with retail on the first floor, some of them standalone residential buildings. So you have a mix, mixed use <coughs> district, you have a mix of uses, and those go all the way from, at the low end, townhomes, to at the high end, a three-story apartment building. And that density of 20 to 45 that's contemplated in the downtown master plan would be awfully difficult to meet with the townhome style development. Now, you can see that these are pretty stacked and packed, and I'm not sure how feasible this even is. So just as an example, the block seven, one that we've been looking at, the 26 units on 1.6 acres, comes out to a density of like 17, 18, something in that neighborhood, um, units per acre. And so you can just get a sense of like, that's, you know, that, that central homes plan was maximized the use of that land, right? And so getting to 20 units per acre with a townhome style development would be very difficult. So leaving it alone and not changing that lower end down to 12, I think almost excludes townhomes as a possibility. Whereas on the other end, if, if we want this to be a mixed use district, which this plan clearly talks about, our comprehensive plan clearly talks about, the high end of that density at 30 units per acre 
doesn't really allow for maximizing the space on um, for a three-story uh, building. And our the proposal that we've talked about a little bit on Lalonde property was 110 units on about three acres. Um, so you can see that's north of 30 units per acre, I think 35, something like that. Um, so I think 45 is, is certainly reasonable. It doesn't push us to a six-story building all of a sudden or anything like that. It, it keeps us at what a reasonable amount of units in a three-story building is to be able to maximize the space and make the project feasible. So, um, and again, that's what the downtown master plan contemplated at the high end was at 45. So what we're doing with this particular um, item on the agenda is that we are asking uh, you eventually, after a second reading here, to amend your zoning code to change the M2 district to a density of 12 to 45 units. So we'd be broadening that range again. Um, and that is the only change to uh, the zoning code. So just very simply here, you see that you would do this. You'd take 12 to 30 and you'd write in 12 to 45. And that is essentially the extent of this particular item. Um, there's other items on the agenda here to talk about the comprehensive plan and the downtown master plan. So again, this is just a first reading. But the other two are not first readings. Because I was going to say, we might as well just talk about them all together. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and the other two are not first readings because they're not ordinances. Right. So um, you don't, no need for that second reading. The law doesn't require that. But can, I, I guess. If I could, if yeah, I could jump forward, yeah. Okay, just let's so, talk about them together. Um, yeah, 9 point, uh, 9 point 3, which doesn't want to show up on my bookmarks for some reason. Because that's what happened to me as I read them. I started getting the documents mixed up in my head, and I thought, didn't I just read it? And they said two different things in the same document. So, Page 79 is one of them. Right? There you go, yeah. Yeah, 79 is RX2. <coughs> yeah, so um, so here, here we have the, the comprehensive plan and a, and a resolution that would address that. And um, what Kurt did for us here was that he pointed out all the spots in the comprehensive plan that this is, um, well, he even left a little thing in case he missed any places, but he pointed out a, a number of different spots in the in the comprehensive plan where this is mentioned. We, in your packet, just showed you the table because it's kind of the most visual and important um, part of it. Um, so, but Kurt also put a blanket statement that anywhere else where this is mentioned, just so that it's all um, captured. So this ordinance, or the um, resolution again, says that anywhere that this range of densities is mentioned, it would be corrected in the comp plan. And so what's going on here is this is the table um, that kind of lays out all of our future development. So in our comp plan, right, we have a land use plan that shows what do we look like at full development, or more more accurately, the comp plan supposes what we look at like in 2040. 40, but the, essentially, that's full development, where <coughs> um, we look at it as being that. So at at in 2040 or full development, we would um, here are the acreages in each sort of category, right? So we have low, medium, and high density residential, a central business district or mixed use, 
and then we total all those things up and kind of come up with a number of units that we would um, eventually build at a minimum and at a midpoint. Um, it's a little confusing here because the density range has a mid, a minimum, mid, and maximum, but the the math doesn't extend out to the maximum. And I'm not sure why the comp plan didn't do that. It just we typically talk in terms of the midpoint, just because that's makes most sense to talk about it in terms of average. Um, one thing I want to point out here is that the packet should have this 21 should be 28.5. If you do the math there between 12 and 45, that midpoint should have been changed to 28.5 as well. But it doesn't affect the math. The math is correct um, on the midpoint here. So, so our current comp plan says 21. It does uh -huh. as a midpoint. Yeah. And so um, it just you know it changes the total number of units that we would be expecting here to 673. So not a gigantic change by any means in the total number of units at the midpoint. And obviously it doesn't affect the minimum because the minimum was at 12. You'll note in the comp plan it doesn't differentiate between M1 and M2. And I think that was maybe part of the reason it's incongruent here is it just probably got a narrow <coughs> fixated on M1 and not thinking in terms of both districts combined. And so. And that's, that's purposeful. The comp plan is not supposed to differentiate zoning. It's land uses, land use categories as opposed to zoning districts. And then um, finally we have uh, item 9.4 which is the downtown master plan. And um, that document is referred to and relied on heavily by the zoning code. Um, First line of the zoning code in each of those, each, each zoning district section says, in the M1 and M2 says that the intent of this zoning district is to follow the downtown master plan. And um, what we had here was just an outline to show you that um, in the master plan, the M, M1 district, um, in the, the little M1 zoning on the side there, that's a sidebar. That's not actually in the plan. We just put that there so you could understand. Again, it's mixing terminology, mixed-use corridors is what they call them in this plan. And you can see that that's 12 to 30. We still think that that's appropriate, again, because in this district, retail is required on the first floor, and so you only have floors two and three, so the density doesn't get as high, right? And then the next excerpt here is that we show where the 20 to 45 would be broadened out to 12 to 45 to accommodate those townhouse style developments on the lower end of the density range. And really that's the only change to the downtown master plan is that little red line there. So. Can you go down further? It so this is the clean version of it. This would be the cleaned up version. Uh, <laughs> I thought, I was like, man, why does it say one thing here and then it <laughs> changes? Okay. I'm trying to lead you through the progression. Yeah, here's the red yeah, line, here's right. the green version. Yeah. All right. I I did not catch that. I admit that freely. Okay. All right. So those two those three things kind of went together. I apologize if anyone else was like, oh my gosh, D, why'd you just put those three things together? But they seem to fit together for me and made made it all more sense. Um, Russ, since you're planning zoning liaison, comments, questions? Uh, sure, Mr. Mayor. We, we uh, all of those were approved last night. We've talked about them for quite a while. Um, so, um, yeah, no, there were four public hearings essentially last night. Was it four last night, Mark? Or was it three? Uh, five, because it was, was it five? Uh, it also had the rezoning as well. Yeah, so I 
kind of lose track myself sometimes, but there were only for the first um, one did we have on the um, was her public input or comment on we're going to be getting to that later, but I won't get into it now. But all of these, there was no public comment on these changes and these updates, so we are uh, we're all good. I would say that actually the rest. Um, I think technically there was public comment because Linda took her planning and zoning hat and came up to the podium and, and uh, made some comments yeah. as a member of the public. I, I guess I apologize, yeah. So I, thank you, Mark. That's right. <laughs> Linda did, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so there was a public comment from Linda Bussard-Vickers on some thoughts on all of this, but I think we all worked it out, so it was all approved upon. So. Affirming it or against it? Uh, affirm Affirmation of it. Aaron? Nothing. Ray? Rowan? No. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, item number one, we've already let stand. Item number two, we will let stand for a second reading. Um, do I have a motion for approval of resolution 23-XX revising the Centerville 2040 Comprehensive Plan Mixed-Use Densities? So moved, Mr. Mayor. We have a motion. Do we have a second? Second. A motion and a second. Any further discussion? All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed by the same sign. Motion carries. Um, item number four, downtown master plan and development guidelines revisions, downtown neighborhood densities. Do I have a motion for approval? So moved, Mr. Mayor. We have a motion. Do we have a second? Second. I have a motion and a second. Any further discussion? Uh, Mr. Mayor, I think yes, it please. might be nice to point out that the, the planning commission did point out with their motion, I think it was to approve this particular part of it, that they also wanted to um, ask the council to um, contemplate whether or not the, the downtown master plan should be revisited, um, you know, in kind of conjunction with this whole thing. I think everyone was in favor of cleaning it up. You know, everyone kind of understood getting all three documents to marry up, but they thought maybe it, it's probably high time we take a look at the um, plan again, even though we just sort of reaffirmed it in 2020. I think, um, but, but they also recognized that that could be a huge effort, um, which could take, could be costly if you yeah. start having consultants help you and all that kind of stuff. So they understood too that that's a decision to council, and that's they wanted the, the council to hear from them that they're they they realize the importance of that document and everything that's going on right now, um, but at the same time they recognize the effort that may take and it may not fit into the budget and timelines of things, and so they're asking I think very politely to. Um, have the council consider, you know, revisiting that, and we kind of went through the idea that it's probably going to be discussed in part of our, as part of our retreat and the population five thousand thing and all that kind of stuff. Um, but just wanted to kind of show their support for a revisiting of the downtown master plan. You just stole both of my thoughts right there. Right. One statement right there. I, I, the fact that I kept saying it's old, that was kind of my thought process on that one. And then I thought, well, at the retreat we'll probably talk about it. So yeah. that was the secondary thought on that. And Obviously, those were my thoughts. I don't know if anyone else had any other thoughts in conjunction. I think that that's, that's it, to just acknowledge that we hear it's on the radar um, and that we are going to sort through that prioritization. So thank you for that ask. Absolutely. All right. So we do have a motion and a second on the floor. Any other discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed by the same sign. Motion carries. All right, on to new business item number five, county 
Park Road Reconstruction Mound Trail. Yeah, Mr. Mayor and Council, we have a request from the County Parks uh, Department to um, utilize our, our road as a detour route, uh, Mound Trail. If you kind of look at an aerial photo, it basically parallels the park road, and um, they're reconstructing that park road. And um, the nature in which, or the, the method with which they're going to reconstruct it um, is that they're going to raise the road up significantly, about a foot and a half, two feet, um, rather than sort of dig out the subgrade and replace it. They're essentially going to grind it in place and then add to it. I think they just don't want to get, once you start mucking around there, you could be digging to whatever's on the other side of China, they always say, right? Um, so I think that the, the, the thought is with that type of construction, having one lane of traffic open while you work on the other lane would be very difficult and costly. And um, it, it, it's, you know, again, looking at an aerial photo, it's just pretty obvious that Mount Trail would make a perfect detour route. Um, staff has been, you know, working with the Parks Department to kind of think about what, you know, some restrictions on that might look like and, and um, how we would best accommodate that if we were to, to do it. So we've kind of listed some um, things in the packet here on, in terms of what we would uh, request, which is, a, you know, no trucks, you know, so no construction traffic, essentially. Um, and then we'd have them make a small contribution to the, the overlay fund, um, you know, because they, they initially, of course, you know, and, and still um, would be committed to any damage that the detour does. But, um, you know, I kind of said, well, the damage isn't always visible, right? And so um, the idea would be that they'd contribute to um, the fund to kind of pay their fair share of the wear and tear on the road. Um, and so we came up with a number there that obviously we have to have a number that still makes it <laughs> worthwhile to do a detour. We can't charge them as much as they're saving. That doesn't right. make any sense. And, and, you know, I think just the overall <coughs> thought here is that we're all county taxpayers as well. I say we and everyone here and all the citizens. Um, and so, you know, a, a penny saved for the county is a penny, or at least a, a quarter penny <laughs> saved for you, right? And so um, we're all in this together, and I think it's a good way to partner. Certainly it, it will be an inconvenience for people there. There's a fair amount of in and out um, traffic there. Um, and, you know, those folks, uh, I'm sure, enjoy the privacy of that cul-de-sac, and um, especially during the summer when, you know, they're enjoying the lake uh, more than in the winter. Uh, but I think it's something that we can reasonably do, and I would um, encourage the council to, to look at that um, seriously uh, in, in terms of being a partner here. So, Mark, while we start asking questions, is it possible to pull up the aerial of it yeah. so that we can at least see... How they're planning to do it um, and then we'll ask questions while you're looking for that sure here I was going to ask when is this uh, to take place next summer and it's five weeks that's what we've asked them to limit it to yeah what were they looking for were they asking for no, I mean they uh, I just said we'd want a limited amount of time they said five weeks it was about what I had in my head I was hoping for four but um, I think five is reasonable um, one of the things I kind of asked for as well was sort of if it's possible to open the road back up while you're, you know, the first day they're taking the pavement off. Okay, we'll set up the detour while they take the pavement off. But at night, it's going to be the gravel that's underneath the pavement. Let's close it down so that people aren't coming in and out at night and they go back on the, you know, close the detour down so they're back onto the just gravel surface of the part of the road. So on days when they're not like 
halfway through and have you know have to rearrange everything to be able to let traffic through, we would want them to close the detour down so we could minimize the nighttime detour, if that makes sense. I think for five weeks it's bearable. Mark, is there any concern about, you know, there's that uh, talk about moving the hill or the berm there? Yeah. I mean, um, any. Thank you, Norm. <laughs> uh, it, is a, it is a man made berm. Huh. It is a modern man made berm. <laughs> So it is not a burial mound. It, it was something was, that was constructed to stop people from parking in the cul-de-sac and walking into the park uh, without paying a fee. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's right. Yeah. Um, other than that, no, I, I don't really have. Um, every now and then we all got to pitch in a little bit and it saves everybody a little bit of money. And um, Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with it. Okay. So yeah, they would just make the tie-in, you know, right from here to there. Yeah. I'm sorry, I, I can't see your elbow there again. End of the cul-de-sac here, right to... Oh, It's sorry. actually, if I turn on the aerial photo, it'll be even more obvious. Oh, so all the way through. Mm -hmm. Okay. We are like a little... Well, I mean, literally, it's... it's back there now, anyway. Or it, it's literally things. 50 feet or something, that, you know. If you look at where the parking lot is, you know, they'll just come... They'll punch right through the... Yeah, there is a little path there. <coughs> they'll just really widen that path. Cut a little notch in the berm, and you'll you'll come right out to the parking lot and continue on. So it it's literally they've got to build fifty to hundred feet of road there. It's really going to be a very inexpensive detour. Okay, great. Um, in in any of these agreements, or within our existing policing system, can we have some type of safety? Um, either signage or like the the monitoring things can that be negotiated in this to kind of protect the people of that area and the families that are not used to that traffic. Yeah, so like a, a, like speed, a speed limit sign, sure. the, yeah. the lights, or the um, some of the additional signage that we put out for safety events. Yeah, I don't sure. know if that would be in this contract or to ask. Yeah, I, I certainly thought that. about you know um, having a little bit more police presence there, and and we could certainly ask the county uh, sheriff to do that, right? I mean, they're Maybe the county, I don't know if they have park police or if they do or not, but um, certainly we could ask for some additional uh, police presence there, especially in the first few days of this to make sure that people are, you know, obeying the speed limit there um, and, um, you know, make sure that, yeah, there's proper signage and that kind of stuff, so. I would assume they would, I'm sorry. Okay. Any other questions? No, go ahead. Yeah, I'm a, I, I think the uh, speed limit through the parkway is like 15 or 20. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. slow. So right. it, it, as long as it's the same on that road. Mm -hmm. So, Roy? I think it's reasonable, yeah. I'm fine with that. Mark, was there ever any consideration of doing this project while the park is closed? I mean, the park closes every year, late fall, right, I believe? Yeah, um... I don't know if that was considered or not. Um, I don't know if it just if they just feel like there's not enough construction time there to do it mm -hmm. reasonably, but um, that's certainly something we can explore with them. I, I don't know what they how much they've locked into the timing of this whole thing or not, but sure. uh, yeah.
I mean, I was just curious. It, it seemed like, it's like, well, the park's closed. That would be the time to rip that road up, even if they can't yeah. repave it. I mean, you can at least do the demo. Right. It's just a thought. Um, one of the other things I thought about, too, though, is there's a booth, obviously, where people pay to get in and out of there. Are they planning on putting a booth at the end of uh, Mountain Trail? That is a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Well, I kind of would like not. Yeah, I would, I would think that the booth might be right here instead, you know. Oh? Well? Because there's really nothing between here and the booth to, you know, stop and enjoy right, <laughs> in yeah. terms of the park. Okay. Um, the only other comment I had is obviously, well, not obviously, that's probably the wrong choice of words, but county taxes, from what we read locally, are going to go up quite a bit here in the next year, or are slated to go up quite a bit next year. So to me, as I think about this, it, it's just one way to help, you know, with our tax dollars, not escalating as much as they may need to, or, you know, trying to help with those savings. And uh, we talk about partner how our city is um, a gold standard for partnership with other cities. Um, I think it's just another opportunity that we partner with and try to help out. So, Otherwise, I don't have any other questions or comments. Um, at this point, I guess I would entertain a motion for approval of the County Park Road reconstruction utilization of Mount Trail. And Mr. Um, Mayor, I think what I, the motion that I had suggested was to allow staff to uh, pursue an agreement. Um, I, I think we'll come back with a formal agreement. Okay. Um, so it would be nice for a motion, but it doesn't have to be a formal blanket approval at this point in time. We'll, we'll bring back a formal agreement. So a motion to pursue an agreement, something along those lines. There we go. Does anyone want to make that motion? I would move to continue uh, to support staff negotiations um, around this topic. We have a motion. Do we have a second? Second. Motion and second. Any further discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed by the same sign. Motion carries. All right. We're moving into our council and administrative announcements and updates. Administrative stats. Yeah. Russ, I think your uh, laptop is hitting against your microphone. Oh, I think I can hear it. Uh, <laughs> There's our mayor. Oh boy. Give him the fall update. Can I just say, I was speaking really fast because it was raining. I didn't realize I was speaking that fast, but those were not just leaves falling. It was rain falling on my head and I started talking really fast. So I feel bad because the pace was a little accelerated. So if you want to hear the mayor talk fast, you go to go to YouTube and check it out. Um, got a number of volunteer opportunities as well. Uh, trying to highlight those and... Um, we do have, a, I want to report that we do have uh, five uh, confirmed council um, applications for the vacant spots, so that's great news. And we're hopeful that, um, you know, we can only choose one, so we're hopeful the other four maybe can help fill some of those other circles there. Um, and uh, we'll certainly encourage that along the way. But um, want to encourage uh, others to continue. We're still accepting applications up through October 20th, so the more the merrier. So. Um, and um, with that, um, yeah, Fire Prevention Week, 
uh, was just, uh, is, or in the midst of it, I guess. Um, and then obviously we, we just read the resolution on um, domestic violence awareness. Got a couple of things to talk about. Um, corridor study, the input uh, time for that has kind of uh, come to a close now. They're going to try to take all the data they've received and the input they received and come back with some geometric layouts for um, the corridor, and, you know, including access um, changes, uh, intersection controls, uh, whether that's signals or roundabouts or added turn lanes and that kind of thing. Um, and then we'll be looking at that probably in the early part of 2024, so January, February type time frame, and then trying to wrap up um, another round of public comment on those more specific designs in early spring. Um, the Halloween Hustle 5K and uh, Trunk or Treat event coming up here on October 28th. So make sure uh, you get signed up for that little fun run and event with the kiddos. And I know we've got some good uh, participation already in that. In the YMCA, uh, for instance, that we just donated to. Um, as we donated, we made a suggestion that perhaps they should participate in the Trunk or Treat, and they've accepted that challenge. And are going to come out to that, so that'll be a nice opportunity for them to showcase their um, venue and help us out a little bit on that. Um, the business appreciation event. Uh, Thanasia, do you want to comment on that? Sidewalk repairs have wrapped up around town. Uh, we think the contractor did a very nice job. We want to thank Lawyer Concrete. They did a wonderful job. Uh, the restoration work they did was, was very good as well. Very happy with that. Um, the, uh, we just talked about the road, the Milton County Road, Park Road, um, the Lake Water Quality Project. The, the grant application is in. I'm not exactly sure when we're going to hear back on that, but hopefully um, our Watershed District can secure a grant for that project. It'd be awfully nice to get that done. And then um, we've talked about the Police Governing Board already. Our uh, right behind this wall here is the uh, Station Three remodel. Looks very professional. It's much uh, better set up for training at this point in time. And um, you know, still very flexible space. We're still people are still having their lunches in there in terms of like um, our firefighters and and our police officers can stop in. It's kind of a, a hang out for them to be able to take a little break, um, use the restroom and, and have a little um, time to eat their lunch and that kind of thing. So it's still a very flexible space, but it's just working out much better for their training and just more professional environment than being out in the middle of the bay in the middle of winter and it's got the heaters going, it's loud and you can't hear anything. And so it's just a much better atmosphere for them. Um, do you want to acknowledge that we did have the um, Guys and Dollar Salon uh, pull out of their purchase agreement, unfortunately, and um, we're still looking for a developer for that 
piece of property and um, are hopeful that we can um, find someone to uh, fill that spot. It's a great location and we think it's uh, a good value and we, we hope we can find a business to, to build something there. Um, uh, the Lalonde property um, will be uh, is scheduled to be on the agenda uh, for a work session work session topic at the next meeting. However, we do have a number of interviews lined up, so I'm kind of trying to juggle that as whether or not we're going to be able to squeeze that in as part of the workshop. Do we want to have it as part of the council meeting? I'm not sure yet, so stay tuned on that. Um, but we do think that they'll be ready for um, a presentation to you um, in terms of just a proposal for what they're looking at with the development and um, perhaps an ask on um, tax income and financing. So um, looking forward to that, to initiate that discussion and, and start a Start the process on that development. The Max Storage facility is making some nice progress. They got the block wall up, and this is actually a couple of days old. That the, the, this side of the building now is um, fully faced with block, and it looks quite nice. It's going to be a handsome facility, and um, I think they're making good progress. So, hoping that they can wrap it up this year and uh, get things ready to roll. Amazon is, is gearing up and um, is, you know, sort of fully functional now. I'm not sure that they're at full capacity yet, um, but um, they are certainly um, in operations mode. And uh, the parking lot was awfully full today at, on the, on the um, uh, east side of the building. It looks like they're pretty well fully staffed inside, or at least uh, there was enough cars there to <laughs> fill up that parking lot. So, um yeah, we're going to have uh, a, an open house there for uh, an invite-only open house, I should say, for some council members and a few um, select media members and that kind of thing. So hopefully we'll get a, a sneak peek at what they're doing in there. And it um, looks like they're going to try to put some um, a video together and uh, North Metro maybe as well just to um, share with the public what, what's going on there and, and make sure that we have some uh, ability to, again, share with the public what, what their operation is all about. So... With that, I would take any questions. Any questions for administrative staff? Mark, any update on the lights for the parking lot? I wish I had an update. There really is, you know, uh, I know it's a it's a broken record here on just about everything we do, but supply chain, you know, it's just we're waiting for the lights to come in. So we do have a, a contractor in place. Oh yeah, everything's signed, sealed, and delivered, and we're just waiting on the lights. Yeah. Pretty soon you'll have the Christmas lights up. That'll help a little. Fonsia <laughs> will tell you about all that. I'm sure. I think she's got it scheduled, correct? Yeah, it's scheduled. Um, I don't recall the date exactly, but it is going to be shortly right after Thanksgiving um, through January. Wait a minute. It's still warm out. I don't want to talk about <laughs> Thanksgiving and Christmas lights and all that stuff. Let's, let's slow play that. October. All right, all right. All right. Anything else, Mark? Can I see any updates? Um, other than uh, the Christmas lights, no. Okay, good. Nothing big. All right, Dan? Yeah. I got nothing. <coughs> Russ? Well, we talked about most of, uh, we had a planning and zoning meeting last night, so pretty much everything we talked about last night was discussed um, this evening, evening during our meeting. Uh, there was a, <coughs> an interesting one on the um, Property at 7353, there was a request for rezoning that we'll be talking about eventually here in the future. Um, 
and the um, oh, we have a uh, fire steering committee meeting tomorrow night. So I think the big topic at seven o'clock, uh, Circle Pine City Hall, and the big topic there is going to be fire trucks and how many are we going to buy, one or two, or are we going to buy any? What's going to happen there? So that'll be a good one. That's all I got. All right. Thank you. Great. Um, also to illuminate the the winter approaching. Parks Parks and Rec. Uh, does want to you know thank everyone for their involvement over the summer, um, and to remind everyone of the trunk or treat that's coming. Um, one of the additional things that will be happening is that there will be a contest for naming of the snowplow. Um, so then you'll be able to submit those at the trunk or treat as a drawing. So your suggestions of the name of the uh, snowplow um, to celebrate the winter that will be happening, and. Um, that they've already been planning and having everything secured for some skate and sled events on January 13th and February 9th. So 2024 winter, here we come. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Rowan, my, my runner, what do you think about the, the winter? Yeah, I'm not excited for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. It's okay until we have snow. I like the cold. Okay. Snow. Um, as far as high school, uh, sports season starting to get into the latter stretch here. People are starting to compete to qualify at a state level for those competitions. Um, so good luck to all those teams. Uh, the cross-country team ran their sections meet today in Elk River, and they have the conference meet in two weeks uh, in Anoka, I believe. All right. Yeah. Gearing up? Yep. All right. We'll hear about some personal bests. Yeah. All right. There we go. All right. Um, my list is short. Um, we had a police meeting, which we already talked about. I did want to mention that Corporal Kruger, who's also a citizen of our city, is retiring. So we uh, want to congratulate and thank Corporal Kruger for all of the fantastic work that he's done as a part of our Centennial Lakes Police Department. I believe he is the longest standing employee of that organization. So pretty, pretty, um, pretty nice accomplishments that he's made there. Um, I believe Mayor for a Day competition is now open. So. Uh, we we're seeing some of those things go around. Would love to see any of our um, Centerville Elementary school age kids um, compete in that competition and see uh, what kind of awards and prizes they can get and ideas they can share for Mayor of a Day through the League of Minnesota Cities. As was mentioned before, Amazon is now open, so I just want to formally welcome them to our community. And, um, you know, I, I found it kind of interesting because I started thinking to myself, okay, they're open. What impact is this going to have on our city? How many trucks am I going to see driving around our streets, cutting through our streets? Because that was one of the things that was mentioned as a possibility. And it feels to me the closer I get to 21st, the more vans I see. And they're not all just Amazon vans. I think we see some Ryder vans and some just some white vans and then a few Amazon vans as well. But then as I move my way further west... The only ones I see that are coming through this area are the ones that are actually delivering packages in the neighborhood. So uh, I, I felt pretty good about that. Hopefully we can keep that up and it's a, a great partnership and they're a good neighbor. So one other thing I did want to point out, I know Mark mentioned earlier, Centerville Cares. And uh, for those who are kind of wondering, what is that all about? Basically what that is, is do you change out once a month or twice a month? I can't twice keep a month. Twice, yeah. twice a month. Um, as the Centerville Cares, uh, we highlight, we, I say we as a city, we highlight 
something that is being offered out there in the community, whether it's via the county, the state, or whatever, that could be helpful to various citizens in our city. So we think that it's a pretty good program. We think there's a lot of things out there that people may not be aware of that are a benefit to them. So we just want to take that opportunity to highlight those things and say that we care about our citizens and want to help them in any way possible. And that is the end of my updates. My list was way longer, but we got through a lot of them as we were kind of moving our way through. So um, at this juncture, we are going to recess into a closed session. And the meeting is closed pursuant to Minnesota statute section 13D.05 subdivision 3 to matters protected by attorney-client privilege. This meeting will be recorded and released to the public after all labor contracts has been signed. So before we recess into that meeting, we're going to just take a quick five-minute break to allow council chambers to clear. And we'll say God bless to all the citizens out there and have a great evening.